It works when you can put that diehard partisan stuff away. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. All right, folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in this week. I am super excited, humbled, and honored, really, to bring you a conversation I had with Helena Mayor Wilmot Collins. Mayor Collins is a Liberian refugee who fled the country during the first Liberian Civil War in 1994. That story in and of itself is unreal. But his journey since arriving here in Montana is just as amazing. He's now the mayor of Helena, and his story and attitude are reasons for hope in this time of political division and stagnation. It was a true honor to speak with the mayor, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, so we're here today with Helena Mayor Wilmot Collins. Wilmot, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Justin, for inviting me. Gosh, I, I mean, the meta question I want to ask you is, is how, you, how you got here, but there is somewhat of a, uh, an immediate question of getting here today was a bit of a challenge. We, we went back and forth. I had some problems with technology, and then, and then you were kind enough to, to loop through Missoula on your way to a speaking engagement for Martin Luther King Day up in Whitefish. And so we're just really excited to have you here, and thank you for your participation. No problem at all. It's always a pleasure to be in Missoula. Yeah, and you've been here a number of times and you're working with Soft Landings and, and other refugee-oriented um, organizations and events in town. Is that right? Yes, I have, yeah. Yeah, so I know you probably get asked this all the time, but people not familiar with your story are just blown away. Like, How does a, a refugee from Liberia end up not only in Montana, but the mayor of a town in Montana? <laughs> Well, you know, Justin, it's it's been a long haul. It hasn't been all rosy. Yeah. You know, my wife and I, we fled Liberia. And, you know, Liberia was established by slaves that were freed from this great country. And they went back to Africa and landed and named the country Liberia. means free land. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Liberia was the first independent African nation. And, and so um, Liberia was very peaceful until... Um, 1979, we had our first uprising, and then 1980, the military took over, and uh, things started deteriorating fast when the military took over. Sure. A lot of people fled Liberia. A lot of people um, couldn't, couldn't live in the conditions the military had put the country in, and uh, one of those that fled Liberia was Charles Taylor. He fled, and uh, eventually got some training, military training, wherever, and he and his rebels decided to enter Liberia. And um, December 24th, 1989, Charles Taylor and his rebels enter Liberia, and they systematically took over the country, and they were on the outskirts of the um, capital city, Monrovia. But the um, military, the Liberian military, was determined to fight them. And the military was in power at the time Correct. after that takeover. Okay. Correct. And they, um, they, they were determined to push them back and fight them out of the country. Sure. But um, Charles Steele had gained so much uh, recognition, and there were just so many people wanting him in because of what the country had gone through with the military. 
And, uh, you know, other uh, West African countries realized that um, Liberia was going through a serious crisis, mm-hmm. bloody civil war. So they decided to send in a peacekeeping force. Okay. And in the meantime, me and my family, we were struggling because everything had come to a standstill that as we knew it to be. For instance, no lights, no water, no food, nothing. Gosh. And So um, a total infrastructure fail. A total breakdown. Yeah. We, uh, my wife was in medical school. We lived on her dormitory for a little bit until the soldiers raided that hospital saying there were rebels in the hospital and the nurses were treating rebels. So we had to leave and we fled and went to my home. And three days later, we had to leave there also. And we eventually realized the safest place around uh, in Monrovia, where we were, was the area around the U.S. Embassy. Okay. Because they had Marines there, and the soldiers nor the rebels went into that area because of the it, it's a diplomatic sure. mission. And could you get into the embassy or just the area no, around? The just embassy? around, you know, sure. they fenced up and all yeah. of that. So we... Um, my mom, my wife, and sister, brother, we all decided that's where we're going. So we went there, and we were just out in the element, just, you know, outside the fence. Yeah. It was safe. Everybody, I mean, as long as you're breathing, to us, it was okay. Safe, but no, not, no. you know, not sanitary, no, no place n- to sleep, just the ground. And nothing. Find your food. and Yeah, gosh. nothing. But um, I think on our second or third day, someone recognized my mother. So mother is a renowned educator. Okay. And uh, this lady took us in her home. But it was just a room, nowhere, um, no bed or anything, but it was out of the element. So we were happy to be there. And uh, we stayed there until um, we heard there was a ship coming to, uh, coming to uh, Liberia, and it was, going to, it was bringing in the peacekeepers. Okay. It was a cargo vessel. And... Any Liberian who wanted to leave Liberia could get on you board get that out. vessel. Yeah. yeah, and so we decided. Uh, we prayed about it. I, I still remember it was a Thursday evening. My mom, my brother, my sister, my my uh, at the time my fiance. We prayed and prayed that night, and um, we finally decided yes, we will leave. But the following morning, when we got up to leave, my mom decided no. No. I'm not going because the Lord isn't leading me. Okay. And I tried to convince her the Lord brought the ship on, you know, so that's a sign. Let's go. But she was determined. And I thank God every day that um, <clears throat> she didn't listen to me because when we got to the port to get on board the ship, we were at the back of the line, and the line was more than a mile long. And this is Friday morning. We stayed online Friday. We stayed online Saturday. We stayed online Sunday. Wow. Finally, at 9.47 p.m., my, my fiance and I were chosen to get on board the ship. And we got on board, and then at 10 o'clock, they shut the gates. Okay. It was estimated 10,000 Liberians got on board that ship. 10,000? Yes. And so we found, when we finally got on board, there was only standing room. And how many did not get on? I mean, how many were in line? And About yeah. as many. Gosh, yeah, yeah. And uh, when we got on board, only standing room. Sure. Nobody could sit because it was so packed. Uh-huh. And then I finally turned to my wife and said, so where are we going? 
Yeah, where's this boat going? And no, in, within our immediate surrounding, nobody knew. And uh, the, the next morning, uh, we heard people crying. And then we heard splashing. People, loved ones had died, and they had to push them overboard. Gosh. Because we didn't know where the ship was going. We didn't know how long it was going, where the first disembarkment would be. So you couldn't keep a dead body on board the ship. And then I remember, I said, my gosh, you know, my mom was not well. Yeah. And had she come, there's a strong possibility she would have passed too. Right. And I don't know if I would have been as strong to dump my mother's body overboard. I can't even begin so, to imagine that choice. Yeah, so I, I, I'm happy. I thank God every day that um, we were able to. She didn't listen to me. Sure. And so after three days, this ship landed in Ghana. Mm-hmm. And uh, between my wife and I, we have $5. And I worked for an international organization in Liberia called the SOS Children's Village. It's an, it's an orphanage. And it's in almost every African, Asian, European. It's even here in America. And I went to the Ghana's, the Ghanaian office, the office in Ghana, in Tema, Ghana. And I um, asked to meet with the director. And um, he, he came and met with me, and he asked me to identify myself. I mean, prove who I was. Sure. For the first time in my life, I couldn't prove I was... How, do you have any papers? Well, my, do you have nope. any... Nothing. We fled Liberia. You had to get out of there. Yeah. And the thing about it, in Liberia at that time, traveling with an identification card... Was Probably al- risky. ...was almost a death sentence. Yeah. Because they would link you to where you are, and somebody from that area would try to link you. And so it was... You couldn't travel with an ID. So going to Ghana and asking for my ID at the SOS Village was, for the first time, I couldn't identify myself. But um, the director had accepted some children who were from the SOS Liberian Village okay. on the first ship that left. And he had called. He said, well, if these kids can identify you, I'll help you. He sent for the boys, and they came. And they saw me and started crying. I didn't understand why they were crying. I thought they would be happy hugging me. And then I asked to use the restroom for the first time. I went into the restroom and put myself on the scale. When they knew Mr. Collins, I was 175 pounds. When they saw me that day, I was 90 pounds. My gosh. Nine zero. My wife was 87. Well, my fiance was 87. That's why they were crying. Yeah. I was literally, literally dying yeah. on my feet. And so um, the village, they recognized us, and so the director of the village decided to help us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I used to teach in Liberia, so he put me back in the SOS school, and my wife was a medical student, and he put, he put her back into the clinic. And so life started to take its form for the better. Mm-hmm. But um, after a few months, my wife had this fancy idea. She said, let's go to America. And, of course, I said, how do you suppose we go to America? And she said, in fact, let's go to Montana. And then I said, well, make up your mind. We, we <laughs> ought to go to America or we'll go to Montana. <laughs> Which is it? She said, well, Montana is in America. And for the first time, I, re- I heard of Montana. And uh, But she my- had done 
a yeah. student exchange here at Carroll College, my, right? No, my wife was an exchange student at Helena High. At Helena High, okay. Yeah, so okay. she went to Helena High, and um, and she graduated from Helena High and went back to Liberia. We met at the University of Liberia. So, but she still had her connection with her host family, sure, Bruce and Joyce Knoxheim. So um, she had called them up and said, "Hey, we want to come to America, Montana," and. Um, we asked them for assistance and all of that, and they were willing to assist us. They didn't even hesitate. Sure. But they didn't know the process. We didn't know the process, and it was just a, a mess. Of course. And um, so they contacted Carroll College to see if they were awarded a scholarship. And Carroll awarded a scholarship. And then a student wife. visa associated with that. And, yeah. and all of that, yeah. So, so my wife was able to come, but I couldn't. And um, so... Uh, two weeks before her departure, she started getting really sick, and so we took her to the hospital. And the uh, doctor comes out to congratulate me that I'll soon be a proud father. And I'm like, no, my wife is going to school. Oh, gosh, she yeah. can't be yeah. pregnant. He said, well, she can go it's to school, happening. but she's pregnant. And it was easier for my wife leaving, but now she's leaving with our child. It became a struggle for me. Yeah, but she convinced me that was the best thing. So she left, and she came, and um, I didn't know how to even join them until uh, I realized that I had to register as a refugee with the U- the UN. So I went through that process, and don't let anybody fool you, man. That process is intense. That process is detailed. That process, and sometimes close to demeaning. I'm sure, and. Um, I went through that, and it took me two years and seven months to go through that process. Wow. So finally, I got accepted to uh, come to America. And I still remember I called my sister up. You know, she was in New Jersey. And I said, hey, Joy, uh, I've been accepted to go to America, to come to America. She said, yes, great, but don't go to Montana. And I'm like, but my family's there. I have to go. She said, I visited Montana in November. And I stayed there for four days. It snowed for four days, <laughs> and I didn't see any black people for four days. Yeah, you don't want to go to Montana. Big difference. And I said, "Well, I'm going there. My family's there, and right. I'm going." And at that point, your child has been born. Yes, she's almost two yeah, years a toddler. old. Toddler. Wow. And so I, I called my wife up. I said, "I was concerned, though." I called her up and said, "Hey, um, what's the weather like in Montana?" And this is in January. She said, oh, it's pretty warm today. I said, what? She said, it's 29 degrees. 29. I said, but you must be mistaken because water freezes at 32. So how can 29 be pretty warm? Right, right. And so I didn't think she understood the weather. So I asked to speak to her host mother. And Joyce got on the phone. Hi, Walmart. We're so happy you're coming. And um, I said, Joyce, what's the weather today? She says, oh, it's pretty warm today. It's 29 degrees. It's 29 today, and it feels warm. And uh, I said, okay, Joyce, humor me and tell me what is it when it's cold. She says, oh, sometimes 30 below. I said, below what? (laughs) Look, the the coldest has ever gotten in Liberia, sometimes 60 degrees. Yeah, yeah. And we wear jackets and sweaters, and here people go half naked because it's so warm, you know? (laughs) And... um, so when she uh, told me it was 30 below, I was concerned because I had never heard. Yeah, how is that even heard, possible? Right. And then I 
my wife got back on the phone and I said, so has Jamie seen any black person? She said, oh, yeah, there's a black boy in my school. She said, I said, did you just say a black boy? Yeah, singular. She said, yeah, why? I said, that's only one? She said, don't worry. She'll get used to you. And But anyway, and um, the day came. And I called my sister. I said, I'm coming. She said, I'll meet you to the airport and whatever I bring you put on. And so your sister had fled independently no. and end up in New Jersey? How did she no. end up in New Jersey? My, my sister went to war. You know, Liberia and America have very close ties. Yeah, yeah. And so when the war was coming, for me, I did political science in college, and I was all into this. I will see this to the end. My sister said, well, I'm going. I will be in America when you see it to the end. Sure. And so she got her ticket, got her visa, and came to America. Okay. And that's how she came. And so when I told her I, I was arriving February 16th at JFK, and I gave her all my information, my arrival information, she met me at the airport. And she handed me a big bag of clothing and everything because we don't have winter. Yeah, yeah, what and are you going to do? this is winter, right. So she, we got to the airport, and um, she hand, handed me the bag. The next morning, I'm, she said, put everything on. Was for the first time I saw long johns, and do, do you know how difficult it is? She had two sets of long johns in there. She said she, I remember her telling me put everything on. So I'm struggling putting two sets of long johns on. Yeah, you've never done this before. No, never. And um, put on two sets of long johns and my winter jacket and my turtleneck and a vest. But uh, she forgot to tell me, man, you'll be on the plane. <laughs> and I got on the plane and. Uh, I'm looking around, and I'm the only person sweating on the plane. Yeah. And we got into, we flew from JFK to Salt Lake, and I um, ran in a restroom, took off a few layers, and uh, we got into the little plane going to Helen, and coming to Helen. And as we were descending, I still remember the pilot welcoming us to Helen, and it's pretty warm at 32 degrees. And I'm like, whoa, these people are all crazy people. <laughs> 32 is freezing. But um, we landed, and um, my family was at the airport, and uh, my daughter, for the first time I saw her. Yeah. And I was, I was apprehensive. I didn't want to just run to them. She didn't know me from sure. anywhere. So my wife put her down and said, there's daddy. Go to daddy. And she started walking slowly towards me, and I was walking slowly towards her. And then she just started running to me, and I just ran to her. I just picked her up, held her for the first time in two years. She was two years old. Amazing. And I just fell to the ground screaming, crying for joy. Just and pure everything. joy. Yeah. Yeah. And so in a nutshell, that's how I came to this country. It's it's unbelievable. And we're sitting here in the midst of a government shutdown yeah. over this yeah. well you over know. this fight about a border wall. And so right. you know, I've heard you speak on these distinctions between refugee, immigrant, asylum seeker, and the two years, seven months that it takes a refugee to be vetted yeah. through the system. And mm -hmm. that's that's kind of the typical experience, right? And it, it, what most people don't understand is that refugees are not vetted in the country. Right, they right. Are, they are vetted in Before a secondary country. 
You have to prove who you are before they allow you to enter the country. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hey, this is Jeff Petticord, and you're listening to A New Angle. Unlike others. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not trying to disparage any other group or anything, but asylum seekers, some of them are already in the country. Right. And then they just they show seek. up. Yeah. And then some of them come here as visitors and they later seek asylum because if they were to return, mm -hmm. they would be harmed. And so they have to prove their case, but they prove their case within the country. Sure. So refugees are the most vetted group of people among all the other subgroups of immigrants, so to mm -hmm. speak. And so it's not an easy process. Well, and then just all these sort of misconceptions about the intentions of people. It's just, and the rhetoric is just so inflammatory. It's so, it's so wrong. I was in Dillon last night at the university in Dillon. Okay. I was there for their program. They invited me to speak on a panel. And, you know, the one thing I challenged the students, I said, look, you, um, you will hear a lot of stuff, but find the truth in what you hear. And that's what you spread. Spread the truth. Because the internet is a powerful tool. You can use it for whatever. You can use the internet for the wrong reason. Absolutely. And you can use the internet for the truth. And I challenge you to pick out the truth and disseminate the truth. You know, because um, it, there, there are lots of information out there. But, um, you know, I still say... Um, 99% of refugees that have entered this country have entered this country for a good reason. And they have zero intentions of harming mm -hmm. or doing anything wrong to this country. Seeking safety, opportunity. But people tend to, yes, the number one reason is safety. The number one reason is, a, is that second chance. But people tend to equate refugees to undocumented. Yeah. Yeah. You see, so the but the internet will explain that. So that's why I challenged those students last night. I said, just get on the internet, plug in refugee. That's right. Plug in asylum seekers. Plug in undocumented. You'll see there are there are differences. Mm -hmm. And then use the the knowledge you have to tell the truth. And so along the lines of that truth, you know, you went through this vetting process, and now. You, you come to Helena, you, you rejoined with your, you reunite with your wife and your child, yeah. and fairly quickly you establish a life there where you're making huge contributions to the community. Are you working in child protective services? Yes, I am. And, and starting to, to, to work in service for others. You're, I just retired from the Naval Reserves. Yeah, exactly. You've been in the Army and Naval Reserves. Yeah. Your family's yeah. been in the service as well. So talk maybe about that service orientation and how... You've chosen to build your life here in Montana. Do you know, um, <clears throat> my wife and I always talked about how do we get back to this great country that provided that second chance? Sure. And we never knew, but I, I stumbled on how to give back because this lady had called asking me to subscribe to the local independent record. 
Okay. And I told her, no, I read it at work. And she said, why don't then do you have your weekends to yourself? I said, yes, I do. She said, why don't you join the National Guard? And I said, whoa, I'm not an American. I'm a refugee. She said, well, you don't have to be an American. If you're here legally, just call this recruiter. And she gave me the name and number of this recruiter. And that's how the whole ball started. Okay. Before I knew it, I was swearing in, going to boot camp, mm-hmm. going through that process. And um, what did that? What did that feel like? To oh man, it was you know I was determined to make it. That's the first thing. But do you know what it's like at 31 years old going to boot camp and interacting with 17, yeah, 18 yeah. year old? They were calling me grandpa. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, 31 years old. Yeah, but the good thing here is. I topped the class in everything. Yeah, I'm sure. I topped the class in physical and mental, everything. I was number one. So, uh, you know, that's how determined I was. Mm -hmm. But not only that, my wife wanted to also give back. She wanted to serve. But we had young kids. So she waited until our kids got out of high school and into college. And then she said, you know, I think it's time. She was six months from aging out. And she made when it she in. joined. Oh, fantastic. So she's an Army nurse in the Army Reserves. My daughter is serving in the Middle East with the Naval active duty. Okay. You know, and so my son just graduated from this university mm-hmm. last year, and he's in Seattle working there. So, um, and I knew I had some time on my hand when I was going to be retiring. And, um, and my son was the driving force in me running for mayor. When he left campus. Right. So extra time on your hands. Was it talk about this thought process? I mean, I get the service orientation, yeah. but at what point are you thinking, I want to get engaged in, in local politics? Oh, I've always, I've always told my family, yeah. I want to get involved in politics. Okay. But whenever the time neared, was nearing, I would backpedal and chicken out. Mm-hmm. And my son left campus last year. And went over to me and said, Dad, there's no out for you right now. You have to get involved. No more excuses. No more excuses. Just get in. I said, but I don't know what I do. And he said, hey, you have friends. Call your friends together. They know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I called some friends together. And uh, when I told them this is what I wanted to do, and one of them said, you know, we just talked about you. We think it's right for you. Really? Yeah. So there are people in the community kind We're of talking already, about this yeah. as well. Yeah. And so when they told me, I said, but I don't know what to do. They said, just say yes, and then we'll take it from here, and we'll guide you through it. And that's what they did. And at this point, you've been, you had been in Helena long enough. Like, yes. you ran for mayor as a, as a citizen of that community. You know, what you weren't, I mean, your, your backstory is a huge mm-hmm. part of who you are, of course, but, but you're, you're running as, hey, I want to do this, this, and this to make the community a better place, and yeah. this is where I live, and I've made my family here. And, yeah. I was I, I was part of the community. The, the community of Helena accepted me a long time ago. Yeah, that or not, you'd already yeah. crossed that bar. Yeah, and so uh, when I when I announced that I was running for mayor, and uh, I started getting all these people wanting to help me, wanting to be a part of my campaign, I, I was I was it was overwhelming. As a matter of fact, when I outraced the incumbent. Four-term incumbent, right? Yes. Yeah. When I outraced him in money, I said, oh, my God, this is serious business. Sure. And um, and why do you think people were buying in? Why were they excited about your candidacy? You know, um, 
I guess people knew people that knew me. They knew I would do it. They knew I, when I say this is what I'm going to do. They knew that I would put my mind to it and do it. Yeah. Like when I put my my, my platform out there and I said I wanted to provide funding. I wanted to fully fund the providers of essential services. I wanted to provide opportunities for affordable housing. I wanted to curb teenage and veteran homelessness. Those are issues that are not democratic. Those are issues yeah. are not Republican. They're not independent. They are Helena issues. So those were issues that our community could see. And those that knew me knew that I would accomplish those issues. And within my first five months, the community voted my safety levy and mm-hmm. passed it. Mm-hmm. First time in 22 years. That a levy got through. That that levy that, got that, through. That, that levy got Funding through. Funding providers of essential services. So, um, and already I'm working with a steering committee. to. We're, we're discussing homelessness in my community right now. And this is just one year. My first year was January 2nd. Yeah. So, you know, the community has continued to rally around me because I think that they see that the issues I brought up are our issues, not my issues. Mm-hmm. And now you've kind of got this, I mean, you're taking on a job like the mayor of a city like Helena. is, is life transforming. It is. On many dimensions. But for you... With your unique backstory, it's also put you on the national stage. I mean, you've been on The Daily Show, New York Times. Like all of these national media outlets and organizations have wanted to tell your story. Yet, you're a member of the community. You have a job that's focused on yes. improving that particular community. How have you approached this this sort of this competing uh, <laughs> demands on your time and capacity? You know, I have to tell you that... Uh, my family, because they keep me well grounded. They okay. say, you know, like my wife tells me, say, hey, your mayor stuff stops at the door. <laughs> Don't bring that home. You're not my mayor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you're in this house, you're Wilma to do us. We, do we know that she so, voted for you? Yeah, I'm sure she did because <laughs> I was there when we voted together. Okay. But, you know, so my family keeps me grounded. My, they, You know, I don't know what I would have done because um, – it says, don't let it get to your head, you know? Sure. And sure, and, and that's something I haven't allowed to do that because uh, as much as I know I have an obligation to the city of Helena, there's also an obligation to the larger community. We are part of the bigger world, bigger mm-hmm. picture. And uh, I, I use my time wisely. You know, I've been, uh, I've been everywhere. In fact, um, I'm a part of this organization that... Uh, that's in Denver. It's an African organization okay. in Denver, and they want it. They're looking for a guest speaker, and um, one of them suggested, "Why don't we get uh, the former president of Liberia?" I said, "Whoa, that's tough because she is Ellen Johnson Sirleaf. She is Liberia. I mean, she's Africa's first female president. Yeah, and she just turned over government. She just had a smooth transition for the first time in Liberia." Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a year ago, and these guys are wanting to get her into Denver, Colorado. I said, "Whoa, you know, we can't afford her." And um, but I said, "I know a son. Let me see if I can convince this son." So I called the guy, and we talked. And he went home, and 
And when she heard my name, she said, whoa, I'll do it for free. Really? Uh, he, uh, oh, he's, he's awesome. And <laughs> so I was able to conv- convince them she will be coming to Denver. Sure. So that's what I'm talking about, you know. And um, I was able to expose Helena on the national scene. A lot of people had not even heard of Helena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of the, the media coverage, you know. That I've heard crazy. about. Yeah, that's crazy, but they're all say, yeah. what, Helena. Like, yeah. you know, they mispronounce yeah. the name of the town and, and all that. But it, it's, it's, it's one of those things, Mr. Mayor, that, that this is an easy time for people to just throw up their hands and get cynical about government. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons to get cynical. Oh, yeah. But the, you know, and, and to feel helpless. To lose hope that, that, that there's any way through this time of intense polarization. Yet, you know, when I learn more about you and, and hear your story, like, you are, to me, the, the proof that there's a way through this. You know, and, and I, how do you, do you think about that? You know, I don't do it alone. I, it may have been different had I been in another community. Sure. But the hell in the community, it's a, it's a, it's a unique community because they, they didn't just leave me high and dry. They didn't leave me to fend for myself. They yeah. rally around me to see that uh, our community succeeds. So uh, it means a lot. I can't take all the credit. I give that credit to sure. my community who's continued to rally around me and say, you know, we know you didn't have any uh, a political experience coming into this, but let's do it together. And I think that model replicates around Montana, around the yes. country. There are these communities where yeah. the issues are real. They affect people's everyday lives. And government, it might not be smooth. It might not be pretty or linear, but it works. It works when you can put that diehard partisan stuff away and work for the people instead of, oh, I'm going to go for Democratic issues or I'm going to go for Republican. Right, right. No, no, no. Go for Helena issue. Go for Montana issue. Solve a problem. Solve the problem. Leave that thing. The people there, once, once their problem solved, they're okay. Whether you're Democrat or Republican, I have a problem. Let's solve it together. That's what it's about. Yeah. And something gets lost as we roll up to national level politics. Yes. We just sort of descend into our... Our teams or our tribes. Yes. And, and identity yeah. sort of takes over. And, and we lose, and quite frankly, it's sad to say, but we lose the big picture. Yes. And the big picture are those people that voted for you. Mm-hmm. That's the big picture. We tend to, like you say, go into our tribes and stay there. Yeah. Because, and I'm not going to disparage any one person, but... Um, and then they come home, and then we have questions. Why did you do what you did? Because it should have been in our interest. Right, right. And not your tribe's mm-hmm. interest. Mm-hmm. So. Are you enjoying your work? I am. Yeah. I am. You know, I, I'm enjoying it when I, <clears throat> and don't get me wrong, it's not all rosy. When oh, yeah, people, I'm sure. <laughs> there are lots of complaints all over the place. It's you not, know. You're not on the Daily Show every day. No, but you know the the good thing, the, the one of the enjoyable part of it, when you know I have these monthly meetings, I call WWW Wednesdays with Wilmot. Okay, 
and where I meet the community because everybody can't go to the city county building to voice their concerns or meet with the, 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 the commission. And so I provide an opportunity where they can meet me one-on-one at a local restaurant. And I go there, and uh, the joy of doing that when a, a five-year-old little girl can stop you and say, excuse me, my name is so-so-and-so, I'm five years old. Can you be my show and tell? Wow. After a five-year-old listens to you and invites you to her school to be a show and tell, come on. That's pretty powerful. That, exactly. Yeah. And, of course, I went there. Absolutely. And you should have seen her. Oh, my gosh. Kids are so innocent. They're so innocent. You just, they say what's on their mind. And that's the other Without piece that gives you any, hope. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So speaking of hope and, and what's possible, you are on your way up to Whitefish to, yeah. to, to give an address uh, commemorating Martin Luther King Day. And, and, and Correct. Thinking about that holiday coming up and your, you know, just, just you know, the story of the country of Liberia, your part of that story and how you came here. How do you view your, you know, the honor of speaking on such a holiday, and then your role in civil discourse, not you know, only in this community, but more broadly. You know, um, uh, and I give, I send it right back to my community. I send it right back to Helena. The community of Helena, as per what Ma- Martin Luther King said, the community did not judge me by the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. The community put me in there by the content of my character. And I think that's what's emulating elsewhere. Because to see that I'm not, I'm, I, I, I'm not capitalizing on this because of how I look, what I look like, or what I've been before. I'm looking at it, what I can contribute. Sure. And so if I can go to Kalispell or Whitefish and bring light to the real, to the truth, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. I'm always willing to do that. I was in Dillon last night, and believe me, when I got back home, it was a little after 10, and I had to get up this morning, and and I went to work, left work, and then I'm on my way to Whitefish. Through Montana, through Missoula, yeah. Through Missoula. So, you know, but I see it as um, that community, my community, didn't judge me by the way I looked. Mm Mm-hmm but by years of service to the community, by what I've done. And so it says a lot. That means we can spread that. We can, others can emulate that and move forward with it. And I tend to say the same thing tomorrow, tonight as a matter of fact. Uh-huh. And I'm sure uh, Whitefish can do it. So yeah, it doesn't have to be another me, no, but it can be another thing, another person, you know. Yeah, these forces are reproducible. I mean, yes. I think you, your story yes. is such a powerful and unique one that it's certainly not obvious that it's a place where a community can rally, but it's a, it's a great example. But it can be done around our Yes, things. it can. Yes, and it we can. just need to find ways to to reproduce that model do elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't hey. want this podcast to stand in the way anymore of you getting up to Whitefish safely and, and delivering that important talk. Um, Thank you. Mr. Mayor, such an honor that you would share some time with us and uh, tell your story. And um, it's great to meet you. And, and if there's anything we can do to, to, 
to help along the way, please let us know. You bet, Justin. I appreciate coming. I appreciate you inviting me. And I'm looking forward to continuing to tell the truth. Yeah. You know, and I hope I challenge people to do the same. Just tell the truth. Indeed. It's a great way to end it. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. You bet. Thanks. Okay, Helena Mayor Wilmot Collins, what an amazing person, and I can't thank him enough for his time. It was a true honor. Okay, coming up next week, Lee Greenwood of the Nature Conservancy. Lee will make you care about wood pallets like you never have before. Stay tuned for that and much, much more next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And remember that A New Angle was brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. By now, you all know that they're big and they pretty much sell everything electrical you would ever need. But what you might not know is that they hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about job opportunities at CED, visit cedcareers.com. It's a great website name. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Comzar, Elizabeth Willey, executive producer, Stefan Borsum, producer, Aidan Morton, and interns, Aspen Runkle, Max Gibson, and Ellie Hanasek. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Before we go, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at newmontana.edu. Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot. See you next time.